Hello listeners and thanks so much for joining us again on the Formulas of One Jackass podcast. It is the last of the summer series. You know, the Formula One summer is finally over. It's race week again. So thanks for joining us again. And for the first time ever, I have my mate, my co-host as always, um, Christopher, sitting right next to me. So usually we look at each other over Zoom because of lockdowns, because of restrictions and everything. But here we are fully vaxxed, sitting next to each other, looking at each other actually, and I can see all the beautiful imperfections um, that is the man himself coming up. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah, we're coming live to you from Dublin in our studio here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's weird. We're actually next to each other, being able to look at each other, just a normal conversation we'd have normally just being recorded now. So uh, yeah, it's cool. And actually, we have FP3 now um, running in the background here at the Belgian Grand Prix. Um, yeah, so we thought it would be interesting to try something new and see how this this goes anyway. So yeah, yeah. so let us know what you think. Um, if you like it, if you don't like it, if you really don't care, uh, let us know. You know where to find us on our Instagram and on our Twitter and uh, wherever you listen your uh, podcast from. Exactly. Yeah. So we still have the last episode left uh, for the summer break series. We are a little bit delayed, we have to admit, but real life uh, got in the way. That's how it is sometimes. But there's the big topics from uh, the last race we haven't covered yet. So should we just go get straight into it? Yeah, let's uh, give a bit of a, um, um, a recap of yeah. the race that happened now quite long ago. It's a month. So we're going back to Hungary. Uh, and um, the main parts, uh, or rather in the previous podcast, we focused on little parts of the race. We focused first on Esteban Ocon's race victory along with the Alpine team. Uh, Sebastian Vettel, uh, the second, focused on all the other teams, Williams, the Williams drivers and such. This episode, we're going to be speaking about exactly what happened at the front. The race starts, and as I mentioned in the first uh podcast of the summer series uh, an incident that occurred that has never occurred in formula one before uh that we saw and it was just bizarre so where would you like to start so much to talk about actually yeah i mean this is the episode where we talk about the topics that i feel maybe uh, all the big guys have already talked about you know um so we we might not get into too much detail but we have to talk about like the first laps that happened in the race you know I mean, Bottas and um, Stroll basically ending the race for so many and it basically put the race upside down and made it extremely unpredictable. So we were happy for the end result, obviously, but it, w- it was a messy start. And yeah, it, it seemed like it, it's very convenient for Mercedes, of course. They took out the championship rivals in the first corner, didn't have to worry about them at all. I mean, of course, it's not on purpose or anything, but... Yeah, uh, it, it seems to get harder and harder for Red Bull to try and, uh, you know, they were ahead initially, but now they're on the back foot and now they're having to play catch up with Mercedes. Um, and it's a, it's a costly mistake that uh, that cost them here. So to, to explain exactly what went on during the race start, it was Bottas that didn't have the best getaways. Yeah. Um, wet conditions still. So going into turn one, he upbraked himself, yeah. braked way too late, smashed into the back of Lando Norris, McLaren. Yep. Uh, that launched Lando into Max Verstappen ahead. It didn't leave any room for uh, Sergio Perez and the other Red Bull, uh, who got damaged. 
And then behind that incident, there was also Lance Stroll, who just yeah. braked way too late, managing to hit the Ferrari of uh, Charles Leclerc, yeah. spinning around Daniel Ricciardo as well. So there was absolute carnage, Complete old school chaos. carnage yeah. um, at the start of Grand Prix. But that's, of course, shaped the rest of the race. But mm -hmm. as you mentioned before, it had larger uh, ramifications for Red Bull Racing Team in general. Not only were they taken out for good contention, uh, or rather taken out of contention for good places in the race, for Max Verstappen, who had massive damage on his car, Sergio Perez retiring. Yeah. But both Red Bulls having to take new engines yeah. because uh, there was significant engine damage because of that. They're on the last engine now, I believe. I they are. They so they were leading the constructors. They were leading yep. the drivers' championships. And they are not leading both championships anymore simply because a Mercedes crashed into yeah. their, their cars once again. Yeah. I mean, it was, of course, a racing incident. You know, it's one of those things that happen. It's a damp track into turn one. Uh, it's bound to happen. It's what we expect. So there's nothing there where you can really penalize the drivers. It, it's, yeah, it was unfortunate. And it was, and you said it's, but it is something that we expect not to happen at the very, very front. I'd say so. You yeah. know, so if it's at the back of the grid, rookie driver outbreaks himself. If this was Yuki Sonoda, if this was Nikita Mazepin, Roman Grosjean, 2012. Yeah, we wouldn't you know? think twice about it. Like, yeah, it's it's a racing incident that happens. But Valtteri Bottas, with his level of experience, driving at a top team in front, this has huge um, consequences for that race. You know. Um, not only the front runners being affected by that uh, outcome, Lando Norris, for example, yeah. on a great run, um, taken out and, and not being able yeah, to... how many points scoring finishes was it? It was like the, the longest for McLaren, no? It was absolutely insane. Uh, impressive consistency just ruined by factors that he couldn't be in control of, unfortunately. But that's also F1. And I think like Bottas's incident had bigger ramification, but looked to be uh, a bit more of a mistake that easily could happen whereas Lance Stroll I was a bit disappointed um, because we know what he can do in the rain in these changeable conditions um, and he did have a really good start as far as I remember and then just launched it on the inside he ran out of space he couldn't slow the car down so he yeah sent it to the inside uh, which maybe in hindsight wasn't the best idea because then he took out the other cars you know um, so yeah it was a messy start but that's what sometimes in F1 we need that because the front can be so predictable but maybe not this year. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Wet, wet race, or rather wet starts to the race. Mm -hmm. And in the podcast previewing the Hungarian Grand Prix, we spoke about wet races at uh, at the Hungaro yeah. Ring. We were treated to that at the beginning of the race. Lap one, huge incident, which obviously brought out the red flag. Mm -hmm. So we had a stoppage of the race. And then came something that we had never seen before in Formula 1 history. Yeah. So, um to, to explain, after the red flag, the pit lane was open again. Uh, we mentioned George Russell before, mm -hmm. jumping the queue. So going, uh, having to give those places back. But going on the way to the grid, uh, even before that, even during the red flag, people are commenting that the track is drying up. You know, yeah. it's not wet anymore. So what happened um, uh, during the, like, the formation lap? Because we're going to have a standing start again, a standing restart yeah. after the red flag. Uh, and before all the cars came on to the start finish straight to line up for the grid, uh, everyone apart from Lewis Hamilton dived into the pit lane to to take on slick tires. Yeah. So 
to do away with the intermediate tires they were on. Um, Hamilton remaining on his intermediate tires, lined up on the grid. The start lights went on, and he was the only car on the grid so for bizarre. a race start. It was so bizarre. Like, it, because we're used to, maybe not even that long ago, that a race restart would be behind safety cars, something like that, you know. But then for this year specifically, they seem to have changed it. Which I'm glad. Of, I think it's a, it's, a, it's an improvement to have a standing start after. In a way, yeah, I agree. Because it, it adds so much more excitement. It resets the race. Um, so, yeah, it, it was just the, it, there was a bit of confusion about it early in the year, you know, with Raikkonen as well, not knowing the procedure because we would just expect it would be behind safety car. And then they did a... I don't even remember anymore, but um, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit chaotic. So we wouldn't expect this, and most people would have more people would have taken the restart than uh, usually. You know, if it's been behind the safety car, because you wouldn't lose that much time. But here we are seeing a Mercedes on its own on the grid with the lights and the safety car in the background taking the start, and it was it was so bizarre. Like this situation might happen again, but do you think it should? Like. It, it didn't seem right in a way, no? It just seemed so... Well, at the time, silly. I was thinking, of course, the leader of the race has to make the decision. Mercedes themselves knew that it was actually dry out on track. Mm -hmm. So what are they going to do? Yes, they're, you know, technically have the net lead. They're going to start first. But if only Hamilton came into the pit lane and all the other teams reacted to that, saying staying out... Um, of course, with, with the beauty of hindsight, we know that if Hamilton was the only one coming into the pit lane, changed to slicks, then he would have easily caught up to the field past him while everyone yeah, went into the pit lane exactly. and then had an even more commanding lead. Um, but what ended up happening was the lights went out. Hamilton, knowing that he would have to go into the pit lane at the end of that lap, um, there would be a delay between when the lights go out on the grid and when the, the lights at the pit lane yeah, go on green so that the, the rest of the field is released. So he knew he had to build as much of a, a gap as possible um, before the rest would, would be catching up to him. And he still managed to go into the pit lane in the lead. So yeah, yeah, the no, rest of the field hadn't worse. caught up yet, but it was very close to it. It was, yeah. No, it, it was just... Yeah, I suppose they expected more people would, would take the start on the grid. Um, but it seems to have been, you know, the front runners that... Or was it Ocon who was the first to pit? It was one of the yeah. Alpines as far as I remember. And uh, then everyone just followed suit. Um, but yeah, it was it was weird. I don't know. I don't want to watch... I don't want to see that again. It puts F1 in a bad light if we see a start and there's only one car. It had flashbacks of uh, the US Grand Prix in 2005 a little bit. Now, I mean, at least this race was good, but yeah um maybe they sh yeah i don't know i don't have an answer to it because it seems silly because of course you can't just stay out on dry tires if it's wet or vice versa um but maybe they should have allowed for pit stops to be done first and then do a restart i don't know um well they were strange. well what's strange is that under red flag conditions you are allowed to change the tires you are yeah. allowed to change the cars so um i'm surprised that one of the back-running teams didn't just decide to do the gamble right there yeah, and start. I agree. Yeah, uh, that, that, on, that on could have been tires. a good strategy, maybe for the Alphas or something that had yeah, nothing because to Because growing lose, up, you, know? you always had that one team or a couple of teams that knew they had absolutely nothing to lose, mm -hmm. everything to gain by just risking it. So yeah. talking about uh, the Jordans of before. Or yeah, yeah, the, exactly. The minority. So teams that just deliberately took the alternate strategy, knowing that under normal uh, conditions there's nothing to be won for them at yeah. all and with you know wet weather with gambles on tires and such perhaps they could uh snag a point or whatever so yeah. with uh mick schumacher actually driving quite very aggressively and quite well in that haas 
where because of the wet conditions and everything, it's not an engine uh, or power heavy track. Mm -hmm. So the deficits that the car usually has would be kind of neutralized, especially because of the rain. So fully expected a, a team like Haas to just take the gamble. Why not? Absolutely. Kimi on yeah. uh, slicks. No, well, they should have. They should have. Like uh, That was a wasted opportunity because this race um, was chaotic. And that's when the teams need to capitalize on it. That's what Williams did. That's what Alpine did. And that's what Aston Martin did. They were perfectly in the right place at the right time, right? And Alpha Tauri, even though they didn't have a great race with both cars, they still managed to back solid points simply by... Double points yeah, finish for, exactly. for them both. So Yeah, so yeah, shame for, for them. But uh, hopefully they'll take more risks and chances in the coming races because Alfa Romeo really have to. Has we've already given up on, but Alfa Romeo has so much more potential. And now they've been caught up in super silly incidents and like very amateur like incidents, you know. Um, it's strange because it's the team that every year before the season starts, we're like, they're going to have a stronger season this year. And it just seems to go more backwards for them almost. Or there's no improvement at all, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's we, we think that the car is going to, you know, have improvements. And they've always had, uh, over the last few years, quite a, a solid package. Yeah. So... We, they have good facilities we as well. And the team structure seems to be great as yeah, well. Yeah, stable and everything. Good yeah. people in place. Yeah. Um, uh, so we, we do expect every every year at the beginning of the season, we expect them to make the jump up to be in contention for, you know, that fourth place in the constructors yeah. to mix it with the sort of the, the front end of the midfield pack. But for some reason, it's just not coming together. I mean, they no. are... Uh, they've won races in the past. They've won races recently, uh, podium finishes recently. Yeah. You know, so every all the ingredients are there to to put it together. It's just about, of course, um, they have a rookie in the car this season. Um, Pierre Gasly now the team leader, very experienced already. So uh, he does get the qualifying performances in. You're talking about Alpha Tauri. I was talking about Alpha Romeo. Oh, were you? Yeah. Oh, okay. I heard Alpha Tauri. Well, same thing could be said about both teams, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, Alpha Tauri is also one of those teams that really, their car is better than what they perform. Well, not not in terms of Gasly, but both those cars should be scoring points every race up in the five, six positions, possibly. You know. So, yeah. The house ghost, as you as you can hear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the studio is. <creepy>. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, this is what uh, happens when you do live alpha. So this is also something that I have to get used to. Um, usually, whenever Christopher speaks, I hear him directly in my in my headset. Yeah. And now, because we're speaking to each other, uh, I didn't hear crystal clear whether he was. I'm hearing you to... through my microphone. I'm sure there's going to be lots of audio editing here, but uh, no, it's interesting. Fair. Anyways, but then moving on, I want to touch a bit about uh, McLaren. Yeah. Uh, I think McLaren must be kicking themselves by the fact that uh, a team that are, you know, um, one of their competitors. They're not in a championship fight with Alpine, mm -hmm. but one of their rivals managed to win a race and they're still waiting. Um, knowing that McLaren have a better car, of course, both cars being tagged by other cars in the, in the opening laps, but McLaren knew that this is one of the races where they could have capitalized had their noses been clean. Uh, right now, Ferrari has caught up with them in the Constructors' Championship. Impressively so. Uh, yeah. So that battle is continuing. I think, uh, much like for Red Bull Racing, Hungary was quite a bad race for McLaren. It was. And like it is Norris that's basically carrying that team, where Ferrari have the strength of two really solid drivers. Like Leclerc can be 
out there punching way above his weight and Sainz can be there and just bagging the really secure points and also punching above his weight, I feel, you know. Uh, whereas McLaren, they, they can only rely on Norris. Um, so their team is, I think, worse than they were last year, even though they have a higher profile driver lineup, possibly. And Norris is really stepping up to be the the team lead in, in that team nowadays, you know. Big, big that's Lando. not expected from this year. And he's doing a great job. And like you said, they haven't had a victory uh, this year. But right now we're watching FP3 in Belgium. I say this is the track where McLaren could potentially win a race. And I think Norris, I mean, I was a bit disappointed by his times in the first two free practice sessions. I actually expected a bit more because it would seem like a track that would suit them a lot. There's a lot of long straights here. And outside of uh, the top two teams, let's say there's an incident between Hamilton and Verstappen again. It could be a minor incident. They just push each other too wide. They go a bit wide. Um, and if he's there fighting for third place and is ahead of Bottas or Perez, then it's all for, for Lando to win. And I think he'd be able to hold the cars behind him as well. Um, so let's see. I don't know. I had a, I had a bit of an idea that if there's going to be a race, they could win. It'll be this one. That, um, it would be great to see. Yeah, it would be a, a deserved race winner. Yeah. But a lot, sh a lot would need to happen for it to happen. To, to happen basically because but as we saw last fast. race nothing is impossible exactly that is always a factor in formula one yeah so finishing up the the last race in hungary before we we reflect or rather not reflect but look forward to belgium mm -hmm. um let's uh look at the front again so lewis hamilton having um you know at the start we thought wrong strategies wrong calls on the back foot but came very close i think five corners from actually walking away away with the victory yeah at the end it came very very close the the great work by fernando alonso to to hold him back for so long Absolutely. which manages uh, which gave enough breathing room for ocon to then win the race um carlos signs now four podium finishes he's only been on the podium twice uh, actually physically on the podium celebrating with champagne true, yeah. or sparkling wine uh, whichever it is, four podiums to his name, but only been on the podium twice because two times uh, he inherited the, the last spot on the podium yeah. because a person in front of him uh, was disqualified or got a penalty. I think there's a weird stat that says, is it every time Leclerc DNFs, that's when Sainz gets a podium? Well, it was also every time Sebastian Vettel ended up on the podium for Aston Martin, Lance Stroll crashed out. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of interesting stats this year anyway. Yeah, so it's like, you know, if, uh, if it was uh, Renault circa 2009, mm -hmm. uh, not 2008. 2008, yeah. yeah, yeah. If, if the stat is your teammate crashes that you will end up on the podium, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Flavio Piratore would be like, every well race you go into this corner. Yeah, everything went according to plan. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, Belgium now, so the, the summer break is over. Uh, as mentioned, we are currently watching FP3. Mm -hmm. um, wet. It, it looks to be wet. Yeah, it's but been a wet weekend. Before we go into Formula 1, I actually want to uh, give a shout out to Formula 3 driver Juan Manuel uh, Correa. Mm -hmm. Returning to racing, returning to Spa mm -hmm. after his heavy, heavy accident uh, in Spa uh, two years ago now. Yeah. Uh, which claimed the life of uh, Antoine Hubert, always uh, remembering, never forgetting. Yeah. Um, but he's back in Formula well. 3 uh, racing, and it's just good to see. Yeah, his recovery has been amazing. Like, uh, he, he, 
he, he had proper bad injuries in his legs, right? And it didn't look good, but he always had the fighting spirit. And I think, you know, we shouldn't expect this from people, but he was on social media, um, you know, talking a lot about what happened to him. And it just, yeah, it showed him as a really strong person. And yeah, the fact that he wanted to come back in a strong way and not give up on racing, you know, continue basically where he left off, I think is really commendable. And yeah, the fact that he's recovered and able to drive again this year is, is yeah, it's amazing to see. It's amazing to see. So super happy that he's, he's back. Good on him. So Formula 3 is joining the uh, Formula 1 circus at Spa together this weekend. Together with the W Series as well. Together with the W Series. Which actually, I want to discuss something because... This is also an elephant in the room, right? We There's been a lot of accidents at Spa lately. There was the, the GT crash with uh, Jack Aitken involved. Yeah. And now yesterday there was a massive crash in the W Series as well that um, thankfully, I, uh, so far as I know, uh, no one was badly injured. It looked very bad though. Um, is Spa a bit too dangerous? It, if you line up all the facts, it checks all the boxes where it says perhaps it's just a bit too dangerous. Yeah. Uh, we've spoken about Formula One outgrowing tracks. And yeah. it's not an issue of space here. Uh, you know, you know, hands down, it still is one of my favorite tracks in the Absolutely. world. Uh, and, you know, it is exhilarating to watch uh, a Formula One car go through there. I mean, just this weekend, we have an actual helmet cam yeah. uh, inside Fernando Alonso's helmet where we're able to see a true on board. This not... is what we want to see. Liberty Media, this is what the fans want. We want to see how the drivers, we want to feel that. Instead exactly. Of so usually we have a camera on top of the car mm -hmm. where we're able to somewhat see inside the cockpit with their hands and steering wheel, but that doesn't give you the the you know the sense of vibrations or the sense of speed or the changes in light yeah and how, the, how much the head moves round the g-forces the how little the drivers actually see and how yeah, what where they're looking in the corners you know all these kind of little things that makes racing not just being fast cars but also the drivers being able to drive these cars and handle these cars this is what we want to see more of and indycar has been doing that Precisely, well. but all of those, all of the things you said, mm -hmm. like a hundred percent yes, and then apply it to the tracks by Francochamps, where it's just a marriage made in heaven. Yeah. Because this track is challenging; it, it is. is old school, and every driver looks forward to it. And we've had a couple of years where it wasn't on the calendar, and yeah. it was it was noticed. Uh, it is, you 2003 know, two thousand three and two thousand five don't seem like complete seasons to me because Spa is not there. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. So it's, you know, if you if you line up the facts, as I said, that should something go wrong here at Spa, it goes really, really wrong. It does. And uh, the possibility of that happening are always quite high, simply because of the, the high-speed nature of the track, yeah. the challenging corners and such. And it's just a matter of can, um, can the tires handle it? Can... Uh, with the amount of downforce that these cars produce, is it still as safe as it was before? I think with the amount of downforce, it's just going to make it safer, to be honest, because the, the tracks that, I'm usually, that I usually think are too dangerous are, you know, the tracks like Baku that have really quick corners, not a lot of runoff. 
very low barriers where you potentially could launch a car going straight into a fence, like we saw with Dario Franchitti. Mm-hmm. Uh, we discussed that. Um, that was a horrifying, horrifying crash that could have been much worse for the spectators as well. And that's what I fear sometimes, and the marshals as well. We had an unfortunate incident at Brands Hatch this year yeah. where a marshal also lost his life. And these are the kind of incidents that, that really scares me because the car could potentially launch over somewhere. And you see that Monaco, it's also super dangerous. But at Spa, it doesn't seem to be that is the issue. Here, it is simply because the corners are so quick and they change direction. And there's, you know, it's coming up on a crest. It is basically Radillon that's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Blanchiment is also dangerous. Pouhon is also dangerous. But there's big runoff areas. Um, but at the top of Radillon, when you see a car spin and you have five cars following, they need to avoid it. You crash into a wall, you bounce back onto the track. You know, I mean... No, but speaking about like the the recency in Formula One, so we hear a couple of drivers mm-hmm. um, making bets with each other, saying, "Okay, free practice session one, straight out the garage. Let's see who can take Eau Rouge flat. Yeah, easy. Cold tires. Where in the current cars, it's possible. Yeah, it's easy. But in the previous generation's car, even during race conditions, uh, I remember this one race, Mika Hakkinen being able to take it flat. Oh, though, yeah, when you, yeah, that's way uh, back. And, but yeah, for sure. But so much, so many things had to line up in order for him to be able to take it flat because it was always, you know, a lift somewhere yeah. along that sequence of corners, um, which made it challenging, which is like, whoa. So by the time, I think when... Uh, um, the the Red Bull, the Braun being able to take the uh, corners like turn eight uh, completely flat, which was a little lift before, and then Eau Rouge became completely flat, and 130R became completely flat. Yeah, uh, Pouhon is now uh, Pouhon is flat. I cannot. Yeah, yeah. I've never. I've not managed in any sim <laughs> or any game. I've not managed to take Pouhon flat. Like without yeah. going in a crazy setup that would lose time. It's just for me. It's 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 it. You have to be so precise. And so I'm it's so like impressed. I think that may be the difference that need for a little lift mm. that made like the limits of of danger yeah. perhaps a bit more control because it was more control and now it's just like uh if i don't take it flat i'll lose time so therefore i'm just going to risk everything yeah but you also have to think when you actually lift you know uh, it's not just about going slower you actually move the balance around in the car a lot so if you have to lift let's say the so rouge is the bottom part you turn left and yeah. right and it's just before you hit that right, you start lifting when the car is like starting to get compressed into the ground. So it's not a big deal. But then when you come up at the top of the crest, if you're then still not on the throttle and you then apply it fully, you come out on the exit curb to the right and then you can start spinning. And mm. if it's wet, yeah, uh, it is it is dangerous. I think they have talked about making some changes to the track to try yeah. to improve safety. Yeah. Uh, Especially on top of there, so uh, you mentioned uh, Radion. So around there, the the tire barriers are just too um, too close to the track. So uh, like you said before, Jack Aiken in the was it um, which series was it the 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 WEC or the DT? No, it wasn't DTM. Jack Aitken's crash. Yeah. That was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. It was in the six hours of spa, something like that. That was yeah. it. That was it. Yeah. So he said that once you, you know, touch one side of the barrier, it's so close to the track that the car will then go across the track. Yep. That's the uh, problem. And that's the most dangerous part. And that's what we've seen happening in Formula 2 yeah. uh, with the tragic incident there. And yeah. if there's just a bit more, you know, runoff or a bit more 
space that should a car hit the wall they don't get launched across the track or hit the other wall yeah i think that is definitely a big part of it like that car is being bounced back like on the right side they can't really go further and the left side i don't know but there's a grandstand there maybe they could widen up the corner a little bit more um but i saw a design actually i'll show it to you later ryan where they actually take a much drastic left because there used to be a hairpin there until 1939 when they actually made the Radion corner as we know it now. So you turn hard left, go a bit longer, there'd be a hairpin, you turn around, and then you'd go up Radion and come up there at the top. And I think maybe that's a change they could bring back. They shouldn't remove the current Rouge. Like it should still be there in case they want to use it because it also is legendary. I don't think we should It'll just get rid of it. It'll be sacrilege. Yeah, but I do also think that maybe they should actually start to look at other options. It, it really pains me to say this because it is also my favorite part of the calendar. But I mean, I can I can give you an example. Um, the Cathedral of Motorcycle Racing is Asen. the TT of Assen. Mm-hmm. And years ago, they did redesign it yeah. because they did see that the old school beautiful circuit was just a tad too fast and just too dangerous so yeah. they made changes to iconic corners and that hurt my heart but it's still not the same it's yeah. still a challenge you know of course it's still a challenge but it's still not the same so yeah. that part breaks my heart but at the end of the day i can live with it because those changes needed to be made for you know MotoGP to continue racing at that circuit we can't have everything we can't have everything and you know safety is more important i i think f1 is getting better and better and better nowadays and i'll be a fan for the longest time i think and to change rouge uh it's a sacrifice i think i'm ready to to have and i think most of f1 fans should as well because even if it's just one less injury we get out of it, um, it'll have been worth it. And just look at the halo, for instance. So many of us were against it. I thought it was a weird solution. It wasn't like an ideal solution. And then we seen the W Series crash yesterday where it potentially saved three, four people's lives. Like it's, it's, it's crazy, such a thing now. And we've gotten so used to it. And I suppose it, it, it was a good thing to happen, the halo. It kind of was a wake-up call for me that, you know, okay, why am I trying to hold on to something uh, to stay in the past what is the point you know um, we need to move forward and if we can make it safer and still enjoy our sport and still get the thrill of F1 then uh, I think that's what we should aim for I agree I think um, uh, the calendar of course needs to be looked at they uh, want to increase the amount of races per season it's already yeah. ridiculously high but I'd much rather you know focus on Pillar races. We're talking about the Monta. We're talking about the Spa. We've spoken about this before. I'd much rather see cars, uh, or rather to ensure the the future of Formula One on these tracks by making these necessary track modifications. Yep. I'd much rather see that than see more new races, you know, new uh, wide street tracks that attract a lot of money and glam. But, you know, this, yeah. Eurovision F1 Grand Prix. That's what we talked about, right? We should vote in tracks each year. Some of the staple. I mean, yeah. Precisely, because why not? I mean, the Formula E, the the fan boost, which directly influences the race, comes from the fans. So if the fans can have a say as to how the calendar is shaped, I think that'll be be great. I agree, man. And maybe we'll have, we'll try a track once 
and not come back to it. Like Mugello, I, I think is probably one of those cases. We'll probably never return to Mugello. Uh, we were there last year. It was amazing. I wouldn't mind going back to it in the future. It doesn't have to be every year, but maybe, you know, Imola and Mugello could be interchangeable. Perhaps this year we'll have Losail so yes, in Qatar. I, I'm, I'm not a biggest fan of the track, and but I'm, I'm still curious to see how it will go. Um, and if we don't like it, we don't have to come back. It adds an extra race to this calendar in case of other races dropping out. Um, I'm curious. Yeah, we have so many cool tracks in the world. Like you said, um, trying one track, see what it's like. We don't like with no guarantees that uh, we come back unless mm. it is like the best thing ever. I think Portimao, uh, we've spoken about before. Yeah, we've tried that, loved it, and we came back, which is fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, Losal, let's give it a try. I mean, traditionally, it has been a MotoGP circuit. Um, yeah. th- there's not uh, not been any testing at Losal, um large-scale testing before. It's a bit like Bahrain, Bahrain with the outer loop, you know, the one they did in 2010. It, it reminds me a bit of that. So, mm-hmm. stop-start, probably because of MotoGP, with some flowing corners. Um, Naturally. So, the, the calendar is still up in the air. Uh, future races uh, still up in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned uh, Miami Grand Prix yeah. before. So... Um, Japanese company we've already mentioned yeah, being cancelled but um, so we don't know how many races to go what we do know is that the the summer break is over and we're about to head into a triple header yeah. we're going to have uh, Spa-Francorchamps we're going to return to Zandvoort for the first time I'm since 1985 and then finishing off that triple header is Monza so and there's also a sprint race going on at Monza as well which yeah. I'm actually really looking forward to I can't Absolutely. wait to see how that'll so be so these tracks steeped in Formula 1 history oh yeah um, tracks that are I think going to suit these generation of cars yeah uh, as well, uh, of course, we're we're going to do a preview show of the the um, before we head to Zandvoort. Mm-hmm. Now we're focused on Spa Francorchamps um, championship title, uh, championship fight continuing. It looks, um, you know, Red Bull have to truly come out swinging yeah. uh, in the second half of the season should they want to um, have anything. So I think uh, Red Bull will be happy with either. And both championship, but either would justify their amount of effort as well. Yeah, I think they actually want the drivers' championship more than the constructors. Yeah. To be honest, yeah, like the employees will probably want the constructors' championship with the bonuses, etc. But I think for Red Bull as an image, it's all about the drivers' championship. They want Max to be a world champion, you know. Yeah, it will be. It will be great. But I think this track is it, it's going to be really close. Um, I could see the Mercedes being really good uh, and high speed. Uh, this track and Red Bull being quick where Mercedes aren't basically um, but yeah so Let's it is going it's, it's going to be it looks to be wet uh, yeah. this this weekend anything can happen anything can happen um, who should we look out for in your opinion uh, what, what are you going to be looking out Mick for Schumacher. that's a better question 30 years since his dad's debut um, wears a tribute helmet and yeah I think He'll be trying to to impress here, and we saw last year, he, uh, last race, he did really well. And if it's going to be wet, who knows where he'll find himself and maybe do some positions. Um, but if we look higher up in the grid, I would say it's Norris. Um, I I will I really like they look they don't look that quick uh, in practice today. Like it's Red Bull and Mercedes far ahead from the others, but yeah, I f- I feel like he'd be there perfect to to take an opportunity once it arises. And um, 
if it's going to be wet, there's going to be lots of opportunities. Yeah. Um, coming back from the summer break, we have uh, a couple of drivers already confirmed for next year. Yeah. Um, uh, Sergio Perez. Yeah. Uh, remaining at Red Bull Racing. Uh, Christian Horner also talking about Alex Albon actually looking for alternatives for him in Formula One for 2022. He recently won his first race in the DTM series. Yeah. Uh, he's been doing actually well in the DTM series. He's uh, interested in having to come up. Uh, or rather, having to get used to a GT3 car coming from single-seaters took a while, but his results in qualifying, if he didn't have some mishaps, they've been good. Uh, Him and Liam Lawson are doing well. Like Liam is very aggressive, but very quick. And Albon seems to have that mature head on him when he drives. Um, yeah. So they're second in the championship now, uh, IF Corsa. It's so weird saying IF Corsa is in... Is in DTM, yeah. yeah. So, so you see two Legendary Red Bull colored Ferraris Ferrari in a team. German Deutsche Tourenwagen yeah. Meisterschaft. You're like, what? That's so but, beautiful. Yeah. But uh, Alex Albert also being at the in, uh, IndyCar race yeah. a couple of weeks ago, speaking to some teams. Uh, Carling, which is a, a, a British motorsports team, mm-hmm. active in junior formula, but also active in IndyCar, coming out saying next year we're looking to have two cars in the grid as opposed to the current one. Um, Albon has driven for them in the past before so um, I'm glad that Alex Albon is still in the picture everywhere you know Formula 1 IndyCar DTM because I do think he he does he can bring something I think he should be in the AlphaTauri sorry Gasly and Albon that would be a strong lineup I think Yuki it was a bit too quick that he got into F1 um, it's unfortunate but, but it's also nice to see just rookies being yeah, given but the, the way Red Bull, like, okay, Red Bull bringing in so many rookies in F1, and that's great. They're yeah. really supporting these young drivers' careers, bringing them into F1. But it almost seems like once they're in F1, it's a bit like figure it out. And you, ha- if you haven't, too bad, you know. Like, but that's been their winning formula for success. I yeah, mean, but look how once they, in they a lost, while they lost out Carlos Sainz. They've lost Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, uh, but if they manage to make Max Verstappen world champion, all of that is justified. True, but you know, um, so did the same with Vettel. Like once in a while, if they bag a world championship, Helmut Marko say, "See, I'm right." Yeah, but that's that's true. But I also feel like they it could get more out of harsh. the line. Hmm? It is overly harsh. It is, but that's the cutthroat world of yeah. of the Red Bull Junior program. But just imagine if Tsunoda has gotten gotten a more gradual introduction into F1 more FP1 sessions, you know, those kind of things, being close to the factory, having that kind of role, then I think he, he would not have been off to such a bad start. I mean, he had a really good first race, but yeah. I think uh, Alex Albon would be an interesting driver now for Williams to take for next year, actually. That would actually that's he a, does that, have that. that he has the race experience. Yeah. He's a podium finisher. Uh, he's been developing the 2022 car at, at uh, Red Bull. So... Yeah, mm. why not? Or just see him in any car. Like, I'm really rooting for Alex Albon to have yeah, same. a good seat for 2022. Yeah. A lot of people in, say. In any series, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people say he seems like a great dude and everything, but he's also a really good driver. He's a ballsy driver. He plays it safe, but then when he gets his his confidence, he, he goes for those outsider overtakes, you know. He's a very interesting driver to see. And I think for sure he deserves another spot. Him in a Williams, that could be really interesting. Like, him and Russell in a Williams. That would be really interesting, but yeah, that's probably yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. So um, that's uh, one to look out for for 2022. Yeah. One to look out for for this race. Uh, I'll, I'll jump on the, the Norris bandwagon as mm-hmm. always. Um, yeah. Final thoughts from you? 
what can I say? It's an amazing season. I always say that, but I'm, I'm what guys like we have to sometimes sit back and just remember we're watching a really good season this year because some seasons have not been like this. Some years have been boring. We all talk about the Hamilton dominance, etc. And even if Lewis wins this year, it would have been a, such an exciting season. And we're watching the Belgian Grand Prix, having no clue who's going to win the race, uh, who might potentially be in the podium. It's going to be wet. We don't even know how many races it's going to be at the end of the year, so how many points up for grabs. Um, so we just got to take it race by race. And so far, every race, I feel, has been so interesting. So let's all enjoy you know, the Belgian Grand Prix. This is one of those tracks where you can really see what an F1 car can do. So, yeah, I can't wait. Well, sadly, I haven't heard anything from Paddy Power. So, uh, it's I'm not going to edit this out anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be honest. <laughs> so, um, when this race... Whoa, and I just saw a spit. Mm -hmm. So, when this race happens, we shall return as always. Yeah. And as always, please keep washing them hands. Keep washing them hands.